Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to John chapter 9 with me. As I listen to the passage that John Mason just read, as, as even as I've been studying along with you through the Sermon on the Mount with Curtis, I can't help but imagine what it would be like to be a first century Jew. I try and imagine, because if the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' first sermon in his earthly ministry, to kind of go, imagine hearing this for the first time. Imagine seeing him do some things that just sort of blow you away. And the more I think about it, the more I try and put myself in their shoes, I find myself pretty overwhelmed in this uh, religious tension. Because on one side I have my, my Jewish leaders, the ones who have taught me Scripture, the ones who have memorized massive amounts of Scripture, the ones who have preserved Scripture for generations to now be able to share it with me, the ones who have taught me biblical foundational truths like, like God is real and God is good and God loves me. And God has a plan, and and God's plan for me is for my good. But then there's this guy, Jesus, who is teaching things and doing things that, that I can't explain. Because the description of the coming Messiah is one that doesn't match what he's doing, and yet that's what he's claiming to be. And so I I imagine this tension in my own spirit if I were there to go, I I trust you guys and I I understand and I'm I'm very respectful and appreciative of what you've taught me, but you don't like that guy. And you've made a pretty clear line in the sand by the time we get to John 9 that it's either you're following with us or you're following this guy Jesus, but there's no going back. And so to to stick to what they grew up with and knew, this is what I believe, but I can't explain what he's doing. And he's speaking with such authority and doing things that only God can do. What do I do? How do I respond to that? I think presently for us that we can have a lot of similarities to a first century Jew. In that we may have those foundational things that we've grown up with. We may have been taught that God is real, and God is good, and that He loves me, and that He has a plan, and His plan is for my good, but yet Jesus is doing something, God is allowing something in our life that we go, that doesn't make any sense. We go, if all these things are true, then why did the doctor just tell me this? If all those things are true, why does a loved one have to go through this kind of thing? If all those things are true, why am I still single? Why can't the pregnancy test come back positive? And we live in this tension of going, I want to continue in my faith, but there are things that you're doing, God, that I can't quite wrap my head around. And they don't necessarily line up. And and the same strategy that Satan used in Genesis 3 with Eve of, didn't God, did God really mean this? Did he really say this? Begin creeping into our own situations of, can a really loving God do this? Does it sound like the plan is for your good if this is what's going on? I remember when I was in middle school, 
growing up in church, growing up even in Christian school, these things were pretty firmly rooted for me. And my parents, in their wisdom, had kind of kept me away from some challenges uh, in, in our family, challenges in life. And so this was like, yeah, God's good. God's got a plan. It's for my good. He loves me. All this stuff I get. But then when I was in middle school, they, they realized there's information here we can't escape. There was, uh, I had some cousins that I was really close to uh, that God had called my cousins and obviously their parents to the mission field in Japan. And they had served there for six or seven years, and, and we'd get to hang out with them when they were home on furlough, and we just were really close. And one day my parents sat us down and said, uh, your aunt and uncle and your cousins are coming home. And in our excitement for that, we glanced up at mom and dad, and they weren't so excited. They said, they're coming home because your, your aunt has breast cancer, and it's super aggressive. And so they came home to where we were living in South Jersey, and thankfully... Uh, there were a number of great facilities there and in Philadelphia. And so as they came home, she immediately went in for surgery, immediately began treatments. And I was rocked. Because I was saying, God, here are people that hold these things too. Here are people that love you and, and that grasp that you are a good God. And, and they're even on the mission field to proclaim your goodness to people who never hear it. Why in the world would you do this? And I began to feel my own doubt of going, God, how can a loving God bring something like this into people that I care about? And none of it made sense. This morning, the question I want us to look at, even as, as sort of an aside to Curtis' study of the Sermon on the Mount, as we continue our looking at an audience that is going, this is some brand new information that we've got to wrestle with. This question didn't escape me even as Curtis is beginning this study. And the question is this that I want us to look at today. How do we continue in faith while wrestling with doubt? How do we say, God, I want to cling to these things, but I'm still trying to rationalize and wrap my head around this. And I believe John 9 is going to give us five things that help us see that. I want to give you the first one right away because it hits right away in verse 1. It's this. Doubts have to begin somewhere. I believe doubt grows when expectations aren't met. Let's see what happens. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned? Is it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did you catch the, the loaded question here at the beginning? It's saying, teacher, who sinned? And I'm going to give you the question and give you multiple choice answer, and these two answers are the acceptable ones. Right? It's already there in the question. Who sinned? Is it A or B? And Jesus goes, you're not even close. In fact, in another translation of John 9, Jesus answers saying, you're not even asking the right question here. But we begin to see these guys in their doubt that starts to grow of like, wait a minute, I asked a question, here's what I was expecting, and we're not even close to that. And I think for us, when we're even praying about whatever our situation is, 
We can be expecting good things. We can be praying for healing. We can be praying for a job. We can be praying for all kinds of things, even things that John was praying for this morning. But in praying, we automatically have things to go, well, a yes answer would look like this, right? A yes answer would be that seat's not empty anymore at at Easter dinner. That relationship's not stressed or broken, that there's going to be smiles when we can see each other. There's all kinds of answers that we hope are in that that expectation, but when that isn't at all the answer we're getting, doubt can begin to take root. And that's where those things can come in to go, is God really what he says he is? But Jesus addresses this answer incredibly well. Because these guys in their question, there's, there's a backstory to this kind of a question. The Jews were taught good theology, that sin is the result or, 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 or the things, the circumstances we're in are the result of sin entering the world in Genesis 3. That at that moment when sin ent- entered the world, it corrupted everything. And so for somebody to be born with some challenge physically, mentally, emotionally, that's the result of sin. That's true. I believe that. But they took it a step further to go, uh, each sin lines up with some condition. And so there's a reason, there's a connection point between these. And so in this case, who is to blame for what's going on here? Was it this man's sin? If he's born blind, then I doubt he had much time to sin in that. So maybe it's his parents. It's kind of a loaded question. And Jesus goes, hold on, you're completely asking the wrong question. Because as we're wrestling with doubt, we understand that it can begin when an expectation is broken. But Jesus is going, we spend so much time trying to find fault, trying to find somebody to pin this pain on, that we're missing the point. He says, I want you to, number two, forfeit fault and pursue purpose. He's saying, you're so focused on Who is to blame for this? That you're missing the whole purpose. And Jesus answers that in verse 3. It's not that this man sinned or that his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He said there's a much higher purpose here. And for my aunt and uncle, when they came back and were battling this whole situation, at first there's that natural reaction of why God? Was there something we did that caused this? And trying to find that root, that, that issue of blame in a way, to kind of what's the source of this? And as I, as I got to hear my uncle sort of uh, absorb the situation for months, to hear him communicate the challenges they were facing in Japan, the governmental restrictions that they couldn't share him, they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that, and their Bible study, while it was strong at first, had met some crazy oppositions. And they were like, God, we just want to share the truth of the gospel here. We just want to be able to proclaim what you've done for us to a people who can hear it. And he said, now that we're in these facilities, now that we're going in for these treatments two, three times a week, it was clear to me now. God said, I have a purpose in this, and it's not to harm you. It's not to hurt you. It's to go, you know what? I have a, there's a dark place in some of these facilities where doctors and nurses and patients are hopeless he goes, I want to change your mission field from Japan to Philadelphia. I want to change it to this facility in New Jersey. Because if you have a desire to share the gospel, here's a place that desperately needs it. And he said, it drastically changed my, look, my outlook on the situation. 
It went from why God to now, God, how do I follow you in being a minister of your gospel here? You have a purpose for it happening here. That there are people who nobody is around them to be a light, just like Curtis talked about last week. He said, I want you to forfeit faults and pursue purpose. John Piper says this, the man's blindness is not a cause issue, but a purpose issue. One of divine purpose. Cause can take you only so far, but purpose takes you all the way. Whatever pain you bring, whatever mess you're in, whatever cause got you here, that's not the point. The questions we need to be asking is, what is God going to do now? God, where are you taking us? The next thing that we see that happens in this man's life, and I think the third step in how we can wrestle with doubt, how we can continue in faith while wrestling, is this. Number three, that obedience comes before understanding. Obedience comes before understanding. Look at verse six and seven with me. Having said these things, Jesus stopped talking about him and went down to the man's level and he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash, in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This command that Jesus gives him has been one that's kind of astounded me. At first it almost sounds cruel. Follow with me. Jesus is asking a blind man to go find something. Kind of go, can he send some other people to help him? Is there any other? And I imagine if I was again one of these first century Jews watching this whole mud mask happen, I wouldn't just go, well, I hope he comes back. I'd be like, I'm going to take him there. I want to see what's going to happen. But it showed me something in this. That as we're wrestling with someone that doesn't make sense, Jesus is giving us instructions to obey, and most often the instructions he's telling us to do are not easy things to do. In the midst of the confusion, he's saying, obedience is going to come before you understand. And obedience may look like something like this, honoring your parents. Loving and serving your spouse. Husbands cherishing the wife of your youth. Loving your enemies. Loving your neighbor. Being a light in a dark place. These aren't easy things to do. And I hope you don't hear me saying them ignorantly or flippantly. That this often, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of a broken relationship, he's saying, stay the course. Stay obedient. And in the midst of that diligence, in the midst of that obedience, you begin to see that there is a purpose here. I need to skip some in the past to kind of summarize it for you. But verses 8 to 23 have this man now seeing. And he's ecstatic. I mean, could you imagine never seeing colors or, or animals or plants or the beauty of a sunrise before and all of this is sort of happening at once and he's just taking it all in. He finally gets to see what his parents look like. And all of his friends, all those who perhaps said, I'm going to go with this guy to see what happens, they're like, 
whoa, this looks like the blind man from back. And they're like, no, it can't be him. It's somebody who looks like him. And he's like, no, it's me. It's really me. This is what happened. And they're like, well, tell us. And he's like, all I got is that this man named Jesus made this mud mask for me and he told me to go wash and I did it. That's all I got. And they're like, well, how did he do it? I don't know. Where is he? I don't even know that. And they were like, well, awesome. You're full of answers. Let's take you to the Pharisees. They take him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees grill him. And they were like, how did this happen? He's like, I don't know. The only thing I can tell you is that I was blind this morning. Jesus did some amazing things and now I can see. That's all I got. And they're like, yeah, we still don't believe you. They bring in his parents. And they're like, is this your kid? They're like, yes, it is. He said, has he been blind from birth? Yep. How did this happen? Like, we don't know. This is news to us too. He's like, well, you're no help either. And so the Pharisees are very at the end of their rope going, this is not making sense to us. So they bring him in in verse 24. So the second time they called the man who had, who had been blind and said to him, you give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered them, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. The only thing I know is that though I was blind... Now I see. I can't escape that. And they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then I envision this beat, this change of thought where he's like, oh, wait, do you want to be his disciples too? And they revile him. They make sure that line in the sand is very, very clear. They say, you are his disciple. But we were disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this guy comes from. And the now seeing man, growing in confidence, growing in this whole new life he's experiencing, comes with some boldness. He said, this is an amazing thing. Let me get this straight. You don't know where he comes from. Yet I'm standing before you and I can see. Right? We're good? Okay, yeah, you can't escape that. But he goes, you're trying to draw this line of me and you and we're different. But his boldness grows in going, there's another we statement here I need to pull you in on. That we would both agree that we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. Right? You with me? Good, let's keep going. If anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Still with me? Yes, we agree with that too. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He said, let's get this straight. You agree God doesn't communicate to sinners. Yeah, that, that sinners don't get God's ear. Okay, I get that. You agree that what's happened to me is straight up an act of God, right? Okay, how do you reconcile those two? He said, if this man was not from God, I would still be blind. But here I am. You can't deny something's happened to me. And when we're wrestling with doubt, we have to grab a hold of this point, point number four. That we need to not let what we can't explain keep us from what we can't deny. There are times in our life where God does something. And Larry even alluded to it, that there are times where it's very clear God is at work in my life. And while there's some things that I still have questions about, 
there's some realities that he said, yes, I want to reaffirm for you that I am real, that I am loving, that I haven't forgotten about you. Do you have any of those moments? Do you have any of those times where a name came into your head? You can't explain why. It's a name you perhaps haven't even heard for a while. And yet here's this name and and you can't escape it. You can't think about something else until you pick up a phone and call that person or text them. And the response that you get back, the voice you hear on the other side of the phone is going, you would not believe the timing of this call. You would not believe the timing of this text. I was just praying about this. I was just in a moment of discouragement and saying, God, I need some encouragement. And there was your phone call. Has God ever used you like that? It's a simple thing. But yet you go, God, in that moment, you made it clear to me that there's no denying you. That the only way this happened is because you did something awesome. And yet we want to quickly dismiss it. That's just chance. Maybe I ate something funny. I don't know what was going on. Our world is quick to go. It's just you had good karma. That Whatever it is. But do you have those moments where it was solid for you? That you said, this is the work of God happening. I remember when I was driving up to Bible college my junior year. I had about a two and a half dri- hour drive to college. And I was listening to a, a sermon, listening to something on the radio, and it dawned on me it, with great conviction that really besides my dentist, I didn't see anybody regularly that was a non-believer. My life was surrounded with Christians, and there's great blessing there, but I also felt incredibly convicted that I'm not fulfilling God's command to share the gospel. And so on the drive up, I began praying, God, please help me find some way to connect with a group of unsaved people here this semester. I don't know how, I don't know where it's going to work. I, yeah, I finally have a car, so that's great, but if there's any way that I can do this. And God, you know I'm studying to work with teenagers, so if you can throw that in, that'd be awesome. And I was on a roll, so I went, and by the way, I need about $1,000 to finish this semester. <laughs> that'd be awesome, too, I, you know, while you're, while you're at it. So I get up to campus, unpack. The next morning, I'm getting ready for classes. Some buddies and I are actually heading to the gym just to get some exercise in. And, and so we're shooting hoops, and another act of God's, all my shots were going in. I don't know what was going on. But the star of the soccer team is in the athletic room, the training room. And he comes out and he comes right to me and he's like, hey, can I talk to you? And I thought, sure, you know, it's his ball or I did something wrong. And he was like, I need to talk to you about something. He's like, and he looked so bewildered. Uh, He goes, yesterday I was hired to be the middle school soccer coach at the local public school. And I saw you playing basketball. Do you like soccer? I'm like, your logic makes no sense. None. And he goes, I was asking my wife, I was praying about, God, there's 42 boys that are on this team. The the school bought 42 jerseys and they're all going to play. And he goes, I've been looking for a a, a B-team coach. And he goes, I've been praying about it. And since I prayed about it, like the Holy Spirit was kicking my butt out of this office and said, there's your guy. I was shooting hoops with other soccer players. So I'm like, you sure it's me? And he was like, yeah, what was your name again? I'm like, great, my ministry on this campus is far and wide. But I I began to explain to him, like, are you kidding me? Like, you want me to coach soccer with you? I said, I explained to him about my whole prayer, and he goes, I'll be right back. 
grabs the contract from his office, and he goes, you know, here it is. We start this afternoon. At the bottom, it said the, the one signing this contract gets a $2,000 check. I went, how do you go, God, I don't get what you're doing here, but yet I can't deny you're doing something. I don't get it, and this is a small thing. But do you have those moments in your life where you go, undeniably, this is something that God has done to show that he's real. And so while there's questions that I can't explain, while there's things like the Pharisees that just boggle my mind, there's enough reality for me to go, this is not going to shake me because my faith is strong because there are so many things that God has done. And I challenge you this afternoon to write as many of those down as you can in your Bible. Because those, those moments where you go, I can't explain this. I don't get this, but yet it's undeniable that you were at work doing something that you knew a whole lot more than I did. That you talked to a guy who didn't even know my name and allowed this kind of thing to happen. Do you have those? I hope you do. The last thing I want us to see is in verses 34 to 38. The boldness of this now-seeing man has, has met the end of the patience of the Pharisees. And they answered him in his argument with saying, we're done with this, we're going to stick to the blame game. You were born in utter sin, and you're going to teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I can believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. I find that a very awesome word to put in there. You have seen him, and he's the one speaking to you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now the first four points have been ones that, that adjust our thinking, that get us to go, when I'm, I'm facing this doubt, here's something that I can address. There's some way to, to, to change how I can respond to this, but point five is to go, here's step one. When I'm facing these doubts, when I'm, I'm going, God, I don't know what this purpose is. Here's what I got to do. I got to talk with Jesus about my doubt. Jesus finds this man. In fact, in this case, Jesus is the aggressor to go, I, I want to I talk to you. But we find time and time again for, for guys like David. In Psalm 13, Psalm 21, just to name a few, where he goes, God, i got to let you know what's going on. I mean, you know, and I know you know, but i got to let you know what it's doing to me, and i got to let you know my struggle right now. In Psalm 13, he says this, God, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? But then he ends exactly as Evan was reading earlier. When I'm stuck in what I don't know, he responds to this in verse 5 and 6, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Have we taken our concerns and our doubts to God? Have we spoken with him about those things? That's step one, to go, God, I don't get it. Please help me see your purpose in this. Please help me to walk obediently in this while I still wait for some understanding. Now, I don't have all the answers for you. I don't have all the, the details to go, here's exactly what's going on in your situation or your situation. But I certainly go, that's why I go to God, because he does. 
And he may reveal it to you this afternoon. It may be months from now. But are we willing to go, God, if you're the only one I believe that can address this, and you're aware of this, then have I talked to you about it? So this morning I want us to to think about what, what doubts are we wrestling with. Perhaps you've identified instantly, as soon as I started talking about it, this is where I'm at. Perhaps life is is going really well for you and things are making sense. But you realize there are those around you who are in the middle of this wrestling. I want to encourage you to write down what undeniable truths you have in your life that you can go, I know in this moment God was at work and he was making sure I knew that he was real. And I knew that he was good and that his plan for me was good and that he still loved me. And have I taken them to Jesus? We're going to close with a song, a song we actually haven't done here in a little while, but one that goes exactly what I've just talked about, to say, God, this is my prayer in the middle of a desert, in the middle of, of what I, I can't see, any way of me getting out of this, this has to be you. And this is, my, this is my heart cry, and the chorus goes, in the middle of this unknown, I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you for your work in this man's life, for letting us see how this wasn't his fault, that you had a purpose for this man's situation. And it was for him to display your glory, for him to display to people who you were. God, allow us to recognize that your desire for us is to do the same. Your desire is to use us in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of the things, that, the questions we can't answer, that you desire to show your glory through us. God, give us wisdom as we try and discover what that looks like in our different situations. Give us a desire to obey. Give us a desire to be patient, to persevere. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I encourage you as we sing, I encourage you as we close this morning. As the other service ended, I got to hear from three or four different people who go, you know what my story is? You know what my undeniable truth is? It's this. It was incredibly encouraging. As we share these things with God, I encourage you to share these things with each other. Because you may go, I'm not holding on to much this morning, but to hear from somebody else to go, okay, okay, that gives me hope that God's not done. Will you stand and sing with us?